Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, September 24th, 2020, as we are streaming the show live on Mixer.com slash Sox Machine. And on this episode... I really wish we were in a better mood, but we have to recap a miserable road trip to Ohio for the White Sox. It wasn't fun in Cincinnati as they lost two out of three. And honestly, it was a lot worse in Cleveland. If these four games were a postseason preview, boy, next week may not be fun for the White Sox. Back-to-back walk-off losses. They lost a three-run lead in the bottom of the seventh inning. And the White Sox go from having a comfortable division lead to now being a game behind the Minnesota Twins and now only a game game ahead of the Cleveland Indians. The White Sox could go from first to third after this weekend. And instead of dreaming about being the number one seed in the American League, they might be the seventh seed entering into the postseason. We'll highlight what's wrong with the White Sox as they are backing into the postseason. But there might be some good news coming this weekend. The Chicago Cubs have been worse than the White Sox, so there's an opportunity for the Sox to bounce back against their inner city rival. We'll preview that series and also touch on some Major League Baseball business news as the White Sox will be earning extra revenue for the next seven seasons. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Where should we begin addressing the White Sox issues? 
Well, I, I guess I want to go back to the top and say that, uh, you know, there are very few road trips through Ohio that are enjoyable. I don't know if you've ever driven through it, but once it feels, yeah, it feels like you can't really pass in the left lane. There are cops all over. Everybody's just driving tentatively. It's not a lot of fun. So I don't blame them there, but yeah, it, it, this series feels like they went out of their way to kind of reiterate what I've been saying about the White Sox and that two, or I guess two specific things. One is that the Indians are an absolutely miserable matchup for them. And also that Rick Hahn built the best third place team in the American League. And I thought I was going to be wrong about that. I thought by now I, they would have locked in second place and I'd have to eat those words at least a little bit. But right now they're still alive. Yeah, you know, before the season, I thought I was drinking the Kool-Aid, uh, predicting that the White Sox in 2020 would finish 34 and 26. And if I knew what I know now, back then when I made that prediction, I'd be disappointed if the White Sox finished 34 and 26 because that would mean they would have lost their last eight games of the season to finish at that mark as the White Sox have now lost five straight games and they have lost six of their last seven games. This has been the worst stretch they have played all season long. Uh, again, they did start the season one and four, uh, but they have surpassed that amount. And when it comes to this Cleveland series, Jim, and especially as far as the confidence meter, you know, we have spent a lot of time defending Rick Renteria this season thinking that he has done a good job. But if again, if this is a preview to the postseason, I think Rick Renteria failed in these four games, especially the decision, the, the decisions he made in high leverage situations coming out of the bullpen. And let's face it, when it comes to the postseason, this is where the managers make their money, and this is the area of the game they have the most influence is picking or trying to successfully pick the right guys to come out of the bullpen. And it just seemed like every decision Renteria made failed on him. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. I think, you know, there are two things. One's the bullpen. The other is the lack of composure the White Sox showed with a bad strike zone. They use that to their advantage, having composure against bad strike zones uh, in the Minnesota series with Angel Hernandez and Dan Bellino both calling severely wide zones and, the Twins got all uh, worked up and three guys got ejected and Josh Donaldson kicked himself out of a game and ended up uh, hampering the team. And that uh, ended up backfiring on them. And then so you, you would think that would be the lesson is just to you know focus on the task at hand, try not to let it get in their heads. And then, you know, sure enough, Tim Anderson gets kicked out of a game from the dugout, which, you know, seemed like a, a quick trigger from Angel Hernandez, but still, and that ended up compromising the way the manager laid inning. So that, that didn't help. But also, yeah, uh, Renteria had a uh, real tough series. I, th I think part of it was, um, yeah, part of it's, him, you know, part of it's just like Carlos Rodon didn't make any sense. Gio Gonzalez made slightly more sense. Gonzalez pitching uh, to Jordan Luplo, especially down 3-0, trying to get back in the count. That made no sense. So I'm not sure if that was a bad decision, but Gonzalez made a bad decision before that to not even get to the whether it's Renteria's fault or not. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, just the way the Indians are constructed, like Jimmy Cordero pitching the seventh, that was a case where... It's not a bad call to have Jimmy Cordero, if especially if he's fresher than, say, like Cody Hoyer, uh, you know, going into that inning with a three-run lead. The problem is the Indians have such a modular lineup. Uh, you know, they can basically, they, they always have the matchup advantage when they need it. So in the case of the, uh, you know, when... Uh, 
you know, Dallas Keiko starting, everybody's right-handed because they have switch hitters and then a few right-handed hitters to come in to uh, fill that gap. And then when Cordero comes in, the entire lineup is left-handed and then they have left-handed bench bats to come in. And, you know, the uh, Cordero allows three soft singles and that's kind of bad luck. But it's also, uh, you know, Cordero is allowing a 396 average to lefties coming into this game. So uh, bad luck and and that kind of susceptibility to soft contact finding holes is something you have to take into account. And that's just, you know, Cordero wasn't a bad call, but it just happened to be a really bad matchup for him. And then Renteria exacerbates it by bringing in Carlos Rodon, which didn't really make any sense. So it seemed like the good decisions he made didn't work out and the bad decisions he made really... Uh, made people and not in a forgiving mood for the good decisions that didn't work out. Yeah, the first question, obviously, in tonight's postgame conference after the Thursday night loss was the decision about Carlos Rodon. And Rick Renteria said that he was trying to get one out. It didn't work. If you want to put the blame on me, put it on me. And yeah, it. I would not be listening to sports radio. <laughs> done yeah, and say, done. Done and done, Rick. Uh <laughs> Asked and answered. Just thinking about the pitchers that were on the mound that cost the games. Yeah, that were on the mound when the White Sox lost the leads or lost the game. Jose Ruiz, Gio Gonzalez, and Carlos Rodon. When it comes to the postseason, I can't imagine these three pitchers are going to see high leverage situations, Jim. So there's a part of me thinking as a conspiracy theorist for a second that this series was just the opportunity for the White Sox to test who they have in the bullpen right now to see on who is worth having throw innings next week in the postseason. And we have some clarity, but I think this is the reason why Ruiz and Gonzalez and Rodon were thrown in these mixes to see whether or not uh, they can they can come through for the White Sox, and all three failed. So they may make the roster, but I can't see these three pitchers having any part of any high leverage situation next week during the playoff games. Yeah, there there are flashbacks to Robin Ventura in 2012 getting overwhelmed by the expanded rosters in September and and calling in relievers who were never his most trusted relievers in high leverage situations like Lason Septimo and Brian Omagroso, like, you know, guys who spend the entire year in Charlotte, aside from brief cameos, were all of a sudden thrown into seventh and eighth inning games with a tying or go-ahead runs aboard and it blew up in his face. And he just seemed like, you know, he had a roster in his hand, but he forgot who wasn't there the entire season when they were winning games. And that brought, that came to mind when watching, you know, Gio Gonzalez pitching in the, uh, in the ninth inning of a, a situation where he normally doesn't pitch and Ruiz pitching in the 10th, uh, trying to close out a game against uh, one of the league's best hitters. And uh, I, I don't think that was the primary goal in testing these pitchers. I think the primary goal was trying to preserve the health and order of the key members of the bullpen, which is Alex Calamay, uh, Cody Hoyer, and now Garrett Crochet. He's passed every test so far, so I think you can pencil in Garrett Crochet for uh, important innings, especially if uh, you know, Bummer is still on the men getting back into gear. And then hopefully Evan Marshall coming in. Uh, you know, With those five pitchers, that should feel like you're there. And so all these other pitchers don't really count. And if they're 
Uh, I guess if they're helping spread out the load a little bit and not relying too much on, uh, you know, Matt Foster, another guy who's, you know, been pretty good for most of the season, has looked a little bit vulnerable as of late. And I don't think it was a bad call to pull him given the contact he was allowing, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the Mira's walk-off. But uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's tough to watch while it's happening. Um, it would be especially tough to watch if home field advantage mattered and if, uh, you know, the seating really mattered. Uh, that's one thing where I'd be tearing my hair out. But in this case where wins don't really matter, the, 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 the postseason spot is locked in. I think the primary objective is making sure that the starter is lined up and that the bullpen guys are all healthy. But, uh, you know, the, the other decisions made, like especially Rodon, I think that was the one that just broke people's brains. You know, having Rodon come in for his first relief appearance since 2015, uh, coming in with the bases load situation when he hasn't pitched in, in nearly two months. That uh, And even Steve Stone during the game was tweeting that he didn't understand that at all. Uh, it's That one's, I, I think, really tough to justify. And I wonder if, you know, when... Uh, Renteria is on the way back to Chicago if he's going to be thinking about this and thinking like I really hopefully he takes that as a uh, as a cautionary tale or or some kind of lesson where he can say that this is what it looks like to be just flying blind or or, or you know running out of plans mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hope uh, he absorbs that going into uh, October or at least post yeah I mean the postseason plan has to be Giolito six innings at least Keuchel, six innings at least, and go with some type of combination of Crochet, Hoyer, Foster, Colome. You may have to just use those bullpen arms three consecutive games if you need to, but I think that's going to be fine just to get through the first postseason series so you can get to the American League Divisional Series. That could still be a successful formula for the White Sox on the pitching front, but I, I know that they're going to carry 14, 15 pitchers for this three-game series next week. You don't need to use them all. Just use the ones that you trust the most. And right now, coming out of the bullpen gym, it, it's crazy. You're, you're trusting two rookies in Foster and Hoyer. You're trusting a pitcher that you drafted in the summer and Alex Colome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know that's partially the credit of Hoyer like Hoyer has really stepped up um oh yeah. big time uh, so I, I was Foster. Ho- that was Foster's yeah. bat that was Foster's worst outing when yep. the White Sox went into extra innings well, I just wanted yeah I wanted to like draw attention like Hoyer this is a case where Hoyer was going to have to shoulder more of the load when Evan Marshall um went down and Hoyer has absolutely stepped up so I think that's partially like that's awesome that, that the White Sox can count on him and that he's answered every question the way Crochet has answered every question in his very brief, well, you don't want to say MLB career, but pro career because they're both the same thing. Uh, but yeah, it, it's even like 14, 15 pitchers. I don't get why there's that many. I think if Cleveland's showing you anything, it's just having a modular lineup with uh, you know, bats from both sides to replace every bat in every key situation against a righty killer or, a, or a, like a righty killing uh, righty or a lefty killing lefty. I think that's what you need. So I would like to see the White Sox carry three starters, maybe four starters. You know, if you want to you know, piggyback it and just not count too much from Reynaldo Lopez or Dylan Cease or Dane Dunning. Um, but, you know, really after that, you really only need like, say, 
eight relievers, nine relievers, you know, everybody else is going to be handling important innings. I think if uh, it doesn't come down to one of those relievers, it turns into a, a, a somebody to wear it anyway, and that's not going to really matter in a three-game series. So that's, I, I really hope they don't carry that many pitchers because I do not see the point. I'm with you, and I'm glad you brought up Evan Marshall. I forgot about him. So if he's healthy and ready to go, then you throw Evan Marshall in the category of we can depend on this guy. But that's fine. Just ride those bullpen arms right now. If you want to if you want to test it on again in this series against the Cubs, fine. If you need to get more I, clearly, Aaron Bummer needs to continue to break off some more rust before you fully trust him. Fine. If you need to give Colome the weekend off so his back is ready to go for the postseason, that's fine. I mean, it's going to be really tough for the White Sox to win the division anyways now. Looking at the weekend series, the Twins are going to be facing the Cincinnati Reds. And the Reds are going to play the Twins tough. The Reds are right now in a pretty big battle as far as the National League. You have so many teams fighting to get into the postseason. And the Reds are now trying to finish second in the National League Central uh, so they can get one of those four, five, or six seeds uh, in the National League postseason. So the Reds are going to challenge the Twins. But, Jim, the, the Cleveland Indians are facing the Pittsburgh Pirates. If the Indians sweep the Pirates, there is a realistic shot that Cleveland could win the American League Central. When we thought they were dead to rights coming into this past weekend, Thanks to this four-game sweep against the White Sox, Cleveland is only two games behind the Twins, and if the Reds win that series, and the Cubs win the series against the White Sox, and Cleveland sweeps Pittsburgh, uh, Cleveland could win the American League Central and steal one of those top three seeds where the Twins and White Sox are then looking at each other on who's going to be the the fourth or fifth seed, and the other team being the seventh seed, um, might having to face Cleveland in the first three games, which unfortunately would be uh, Shane Bieber in Game 1 and Zach Plesek in Game 2, and if you can get to Game 3, that might be Carlos Carrasco. Uh, That would be a very tough series for any team having to face Cleveland. So I... I give props to Cleveland. I This formula has always been a bit iffy, but now you're going into the postseason, and the way that Lindor and Cesar Hernandez and Jose Ramirez are hitting and the way that pitching staff works, it's so tough to score against Cleveland. You have to capitalize on every single opportunity that you get. And on top of that, you might they may have the American League MVP now. I, I think Jose Abreu might have lost his grasp on the American League MVP after this series, especially the way that Ramirez played against the White Sox, and he had the walk-off hit, and he had the game-winning hit again tonight uh, with the two-run double. Cleveland's going to be a tough out in the postseason, and they might surprise some teams um, next week. As for for the White Sox, they got to lick their wounds and get back in face the Chicago Cubs, which we'll preview that series in a moment. But there's another problem with the White Sox outside of Rick Renteria's bullpen decision-making, and that's the offense. The offense has suddenly gone very quiet against really good pitching. In the last seven games, Tim Anderson, 4 for 25. Edwin Carnacion, 4 for 25. Yohan Mikata, 3 for 24. Luis Robert. All triples. Yeah, all triples. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Luis Robert, 0 for 20. Yasmani Grandal, 2 for 16. 
James McCann, 0 for 13 with 8 strikeouts. So who is hitting? Nick Madrigal's 9 for 22. Aloy Jimenez is 7 for 27. Of course, Jose Abreu is doing his part. He's 6 for 23. And then you got Nomar Mazzara. Mazzara's 5 for 19 this past week. But heading into this series, Jim, it's like you have this juggernaut offense that were so hyped up. And now you have four or five guys that are ice cold. And you need the White Sox need them to snap out of it. Because in this season, the Chicago White Sox are 8-21 and 21 when they don't score five or more runs in a game. They have to score five runs in a game in order to be successful. And they're not going to do that if only three bats are actually hitting in the lineup on any given night, Jim. Well, this is what I wrote about uh, this morning, just talking about how the White Sox, you know, they look like they're going to be able to maybe not cruise to a central uh, title, but at least be able to, uh, you know, with even a, a small setback, even without with less than stellar play, they would be able to win the division. <laughs> and instead, it reminded me of uh, 2008 when they just had to win a game in Minnesota and I'm getting swept, and then they had to go into the postseason the hard way, and that and that didn't really bode well for getting set up for the uh, the series against the Rays. So. That's a case where I don't blame if Renteria is trying to set you know, everything bullpen rotation up for the postseason and, and you know, forego these games or at least treat these games as less than important. I do understand that. But, um, yeah, it's it's tough to watch this. Um, but it, it's kind of – I've been on guard against this outcome for a while. And, yeah, I, I wrote about it a few weeks ago talking about how the White Sox were – 13-0 against lefties, and Tim Anderson was batting over 500 against lefties, and basically all of Anderson's gains year over year uh, were against lefties. And that was great, except that uh, lefties were no longer on the schedule. Um, you know, depending on how the Cubs line things up, the White Sox could have gone like the last three weeks out facing a lefty. As it turns out, the Cubs are going to start two of them, so at least they might be able to get one chance to get their licks in. Uh, but even when they get to the postseason, depending on who they face, um, you know, Oakland's the other only team that really relies on left-handed starters, and they have ways to work around that. So that was always a uh, a threat, you know, just a a lingering, uh, um, you know, it's something that could jeopardize just everything the White Sox have built because they did, you know, everybody. Uh, I know a lot of White Sox fans watching on Twitter got tired of people criticizing or at least turning their 18 and two record against the Royals and Tigers into criticism or saying that it wasn't reflective of a real record. And I understand why people were sore, but it's also worth keeping in mind that, you know, there was, they, they did take advantage of weak left-handed pitching on weak teams. And when that dries up, they look ordinary, or maybe they look even worse than ordinary. And I think that's part of the reason too, why, uh, Renteria's bullpen, uh, management has gotten away from him is that they just have played a lot of close games a lot of games where the bullpen couldn't allowed uh to give up runs without you know making the deficit bigger and so they had to use their more important relievers even in situations that might not have warranted there were no blowouts in either way that really allowed them to uh, use a low leverage guy in a low leverage situation so it's uh it's been tough on everybody and it doesn't bode well for how long they're going to last in the postseason um I think, if anything, um, it's just more instructive to the guys building the team. Uh, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams just seeing how weak they are against good right-handed pitching. Or even just like 
uh, you know, right-handed pitching with command. It doesn't have to be electrifying right-handed pitching. It just has to be ones that can locate a breaking ball consistently low and away. Uh, that gives the White Sox fits and forces them or, or, or uh, you know, kind of lures them into a situation where they don't even trust fastballs. That's really uh, concerning. So, uh, yeah, and then, you know, when it comes to uh, just, uh, you know, pitching management and, and, and trying to, uh, you know, have uh, more than one lefty in the bullpen, I think that would also help. Uh, and I think that they might solve that as soon as next year if Crochet does the Chris Sale plan where he spends the entire year in a bullpen and they address his uh, possible future as a starter later. But there are ways out of this. It just might not be this year. I still think as long as they avoid Minnesota or Cleveland in the first three games, I still think they got a chance to advance to the American League Divisional Series. Because as we are currently streaming this right now, the Yankees and Blue Jays are entering the top of the ninth inning. And the Yankees, again, are losing to the Blue Jays. This is coming a night after the Yankees got demolished by the Blue Jays. I think it was like 14-1. to Right now, the Blue Jays have a three-run lead. They are ahead 4-1 to over the Yankees. If the Yankees do not come back and win that game, the New York Yankees are going to drop to 32-25 and on the season. Uh, again, the White Sox are 34-23. and So if the White Sox can find a way to win the series against the Chicago Cubs and they stay ahead of the Cleveland Indians, uh, the White Sox being a four seed would be playing against the New York Yankees. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, that's a terrible matchup for the White Sox. I don't think so. I think the Yankees, they've been hurt often. And they are not playing good baseball right now. And Garrett Cole is not Garrett Cole from last year. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka has been pitching much better. But the Yankees also have left-handed starters that they're not afraid to go to. And the White Sox would love to face some left-handed starters, uh, especially what's been happening this past week. So I don't think that's a bad first-round matchup for the White Sox to face the New York Yankees. If they find a way to win the American League Central, uh, but they finish as the third seed, they'd be facing the Houston Astros. I like that matchup for the White Sox. Uh, if they finish as the seventh seed, it looks like it might be against the Oakland Athletics in Oakland. I don't think that matchup is impossible for the White Sox to win that series, especially a Oakland Athletics team that does not have Matt Chapman anymore uh, because of injury. I just don't feel confident at this moment, Jim, that the White Sox can win a three-game series against the Minnesota Twins or against the Cleveland Indians in the first round of the postseason. I am still confident that they can win that wild card round as long as they don't face another American League Central team. How do you feel about the White Sox chances before playing the, this last series against the Cubs? I think that's a, a pretty good read on it. I think um, I'm afraid of the teams, or at least I, I think teams like Oakland, teams like uh, the Rays, who they they shouldn't face, uh, I imagine, but just teams like who can exploit other teams weaknesses and who aren't afraid to, um, you know, I guess, you know, to, to use the cliche, go outside the box to, uh, they've uh, managed their teams or players expectations enough, especially in the pitching side to say like, well, we got a team that's Week against righties, we're going to stack righties. We're going to have uh, these this guy go one time through. We're going to have this guy go one time through. We're going to minimize this lefty's exposure. And yeah, I think they've set expectations to where 
they're fine with that. Like they're fine with just going out of order if it gets if it's the best strategy to win that game. And so that's why I think Oakland makes me a bit nervous, just because uh, they they are very good at, at making up wins where there shouldn't be wins. <laughs> and the White Sox are just very easy to exploit right now, uh, just given how uh, you know righties can pick them apart and how uh, left-handed bats can do some damage. I'm hoping now that with Crochet there and with a uh, fully rested Crochet a bummer back, that lefties will be less of a threat. At the plate, so that's something that I think I can be talked off the ledge from. Um, you know, by the time uh, the end of the season arrives, just because we should see enough from Bummer and Crochet and have them on a good enough rest schedule to where I'll feel like they're more substantial and in uh, more reason to worry about them than there's reason to worry about the hitters. But uh, yeah, just the Yankees, I think are are tough uh, just because they. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the White Sox, you know, in, in previous years to where they have, uh, you know, feast and fa- uh, feast or famine. And mm-hmm. with the White Sox, uh, I, I think they're a team that can allow feasts. That's, I think, what makes me nervous is that they, uh, depending on just, uh, you know, whether Giolito has a rough first inning or whether Keuchel has a high pitch count, I think there's just ways to get them into bad situations where they give a crooked number or two. Uh, they've been, uh, they had a really good handle on the home run ball uh, pitching staff wise. And, and that's kind of come back to bite them a little bit in the last week or two to where the Yankees would uh, scare me more. So uh, yeah, I, I'm with you that Cleveland's a bad matchup. I think they've taken enough good swings against uh, Minnesota starters to where I would give them a chance. Uh, Cleveland, I would say, nope, they're in their heads. <laughs> and also just, they're in their, they're, I think they're in their heads and they're also just built to destroy them, which makes it easy to get in their heads. Uh, I think it's a, it's a two-way thing. Uh, and, and from that point, I'm, I'm happy that the White Sox aren't the uh, top seed or the uh, second seed facing the seventh or eighth. It's just going to be, I think, tough uh, just with the way that the White Sox bats are um, facing right-handed pitching to feel like they have a really good shot at anybody right now. Well, let somebody else face Shane Bieber in game one. That's my belief at this moment. Uh, so don't face Cleveland in the first round, White Sox. Do whatever you can. Uh, but I think to help the mood, uh, because I can't imagine spirits are very high for the Chicago White Sox getting on the plane from Cleveland and flying back home to Chicago tonight. Uh, they could really use a boost. And for whatever reason... Uh, the White Sox, as far as that clubhouse, gets themselves pumped up to face the Chicago Cubs. So maybe this is a good time to have this White Sox-Cubs series uh, for this White Sox team to get themselves pumped up and try to win this series against the Chicago Cubs and find a way to get to 36 wins on this season. And maybe that still lands you the American league central title or one of the four or fifth seeds and be in the top half of the bracket while the division winner and the third place team would be in the bottom half of that bracket. So again, the white Sox wouldn't have to face another American league central team. They finished in the top half until the American league championship series. So fingers crossed, Somehow that happens for them. Now for this series against the Chicago Cubs, let's talk about the Cubs for a moment. The Cubs are 32 and 25. One would think they have a very good handle in the National League Central, and they still have somewhat of a comfortable lead, but they have been playing really bad baseball as of late. Since September 18th against the Minnesota Twins, the Chicago Cubs offense has scored 10 runs. That's it. Seven games. 10 runs. Their offense is pathetic 
at the moment. And they just lost three straight games to the pig to the Pittsburgh pirates that honestly, the last two games were not competitive whatsoever. So it's really hard to understand what the pulse is for the Chicago Cubs team as they head back to Chicago and play these three games against the White Sox. Who's hitting well for the Chicago Cubs? Well, it's two batters right now. It's Jason Hayward, who's got a slash line of 283 with a 413 on base percentage, slugging 486. And it's Ian Happ. He's hitting 257 with a 360 on base percentage and slugging 513. Jim, I am going to read these four slash lines to you, and I want to know what your reaction is when I'm done reading them. Javier Baez batting 196 with a 234 on base percentage, slugging 344. Anthony Rizzo hitting 222 with a 339 on base percentage, slugging 419. Kyle Schwarber hitting 187 with a 302 on base percentage, slugging 385. And Wilson Contreras hitting 236 with a 347 on base percentage, slugging 374. And I'm not even going to bother reading off Chris Bryant's slash line because I have to admit I enjoy watching Chris Bryant play the game of baseball. And I know that he's been dealing with injuries this year. So it's heartbreaking to even look at his slash line on how terrible he's been in 2020. But I cannot believe those four hitters for the Chicago Cubs who have played almost every single game this season have been hitting that poorly. Yeah, Baez, I think, is the one that confuses me the most just because I don't pay, you know, being that I don't live in Chicago, I don't get a whole lot of um, exposure to the Cubs or like, you know, when I live in a city, I, I get, I learn a lot about team through osmosis. Like I learned a lot about the Mets and Yankees, even though I didn't follow them, just being in New York when I was there um, and, and the Red Sox too. I just learned a lot from hearing about them, reading about them, just, you know, third hand overhearing conversations. But with the Cubs, I don't really hear much about them here in, in Nashville. And so, you know, my exposure to Javier Baez is like just kind of viral clips and, you know, MLB.com or Cubs accounts or just, you know, things will occasionally pass through my Twitter feed like El Mago doing it again. Crazy slide. Well, you know, what a tag, et cetera. Great defensive play. And then you see what his numbers are and like, man, they're pumping him up. <laughs> like They do not want him to be. Yeah. Like they like just seem like yeah, a lot of the baseball industry had high hopes on his stardom or like just need to cash in on him somehow. But that was a case where like I every time I look at his numbers, I'm surprised because I only hear I only see the highlights. I guess I don't you know, I, I, I don't follow the Cubs closely enough or I'm around them to hear about the I hear about the team wide struggles. I see the scores. I occasionally look at the box scores. But I don't see the uh, yeah the blow by blows of especially hitter performances <laughs> and yeah that's that's the one that jumps out to me um, you know it, to this point you know looking at his uh, or looking at the entire Cubs team for September none of them have an 800 OPS that's something uh, that's pretty remarkable but yeah you know looking at his numbers and looking at the you know, 234 OBP it kind of reminds me of that's like towards mm-hmm. Adam Dunn territory of everyday play of just that kind of season but because it's um, you know, because it's, you know, either bias or because it's up the middle or because he's still good defensively or something like that, that you just don't hear about it. But that's the one that surprises me the most, just because, uh, just, I still hear great things. Yeah. And if they don't click against the White Sox this weekend, I know that White Sox fans are pretty low at the moment. Cubs fans are at another level and it is justifiable because I don't know what happened to this offense, 
They are much better than this. They are better than this, but they have not been performing whatsoever in 2020. And if it wasn't for their outstanding starting pitching, there's no way the Chicago Cubs should win 32 games when Baez, Rizzo, and Schwarber uh, don't have 800 OPSs. I mean, Baez doesn't even have a 600 OPS. And it's, in a way, that they could win the National League Central is remarkable. But they did start the season 13-3, and and since that hot start, they have been playing below 500 since Game 17. Uh, So hopefully the White Sox can take advantage. Again, uh, if you forgot, the White Sox won the series in Wrigley Field. Uh, They almost swept the Chicago Cubs. Uh, in that series, so hopefully that happens again, and the White Sox could win the Crosstown Club, the Cross, sorry, the Crosstown Cup, the cup that everybody wants to win. Right. Uh, but we'll, <laughs> previewing as far as this series, you're pitching Proud Bulls. So on Friday night at 7:10 p.m. Central Time, the one game the Chicago Cubs won was a pitching duel between you Darvish and Dylan Cease. That might have been Cease's best performance in 2020 going up against you Darvish. There will be a rematch of that on Friday night at 7:10 p.m. Central Time. On Saturday night, 6:10 p.m. Central Time, it is John Lester against Dane Dunning. And then on Sunday at 2:10 p.m. Central Time, again everybody in Major League Baseball is going to be playing at the same time on Sunday. It's old friend Jose Quintana against Ronaldo Lopez. And with this pitching, as far as uh, matchups for the Chicago White Sox, Jim, I do like that they're going with Cease, Dunning, and Lopez. I, uh, in a bit, I, I'm happy because Lopez has been pitching better in his last three starts, only a 2.35 ERA over that over those three starts. So for him to get another chance to prove himself, I think is worthy. I think, I, I, I think it's already determined. I hope it's determined. That Dane Dunning, if you have a game three situation, the wild card round, is that starter over Dylan Cease. You'll use Dylan Cease as the game four starter if the team makes it into the division series. I don't know what role Ronaldo Lopez would have on a postseason roster. He may not make the postseason roster uh, for either the wild card or divisional series round. We may not see him again until the championship series. Uh, but at least for this pitching pro in the pitching probables for the White Sox. I think Cease, Dunning, and Lopez against a Cubs offense that has been struggling terribly. I feel pretty good about the White Sox and a pitching front for this weekend, Jim. How do you feel? Well, I, I think I would say that depending on, I, I think it's a big start for Cease um, because he's walked 12 batters over his last seven and two thirds innings. So I, I would disagree with you. Say if uh, he shows up like he's shown the last two starts against the Cubs, uh, you know, walks a batter an inning. I don't think you can trust him in a postseason start. I think if Lopez shows up and throws the way he's been throwing, he's the guy who gives you a chance to win. Um, you know, especially I would say if it's just like the way, you know, if Cease walks a batter, and I guess there are good Cease walks or there are okay Cease walks and there are bad ones or, or ones that just make no sense. And uh, if he's, you know, if his control falls apart, if he's, because uh, I mean, Last time the walks were seven over two innings, basically, because he got through the first inning with uh, no real issues. So if he shows up like that and is throwing less than half of his pitches for strikes, then and Lopez 
comes in and throws a solid five, um, you know, doesn't get his team in trouble, then maybe you think that he's the guy you go with. Either one's going to be on a short leash, so it doesn't really matter. But I think Cease is on a little bit of thin ice just because of just how extreme his control problems have been the last two times out. Uh, he doesn't really have a whole lot of room for error when it comes to uh, just how badly he's been missing. And I still hope to cash in on my bet that he's going to uh, plunk Anthony Rizzo because he didn't do that the last time. <laughs> disappointed me. I, I think it's a big start for Dunning too, just because, you know, the, his last time out was a uh, uh, mess early. Um, yeah, I think he just got a, a rough introduction to just the left-handed nature of the Indians lineup and left-handed and top heavy nature of the of Indians lineup. And uh, it's a good, uh, yeah, it's a thing he was going to have to learn at some point, just how to deal with an early ambush. And uh, so hopefully he got that out of his way, but Right now, I think based on the body of work, he's still the guy. Uh, but Lopez, I think, you know, we, we all counted him out. But if he goes another start and throws another solid five and, and is really doing nothing to get himself in trouble and is making the other team do it, they're not doing it, uh, then, yeah, I don't feel great about him starting a postseason game. But I also just don't know if, um, you know, there's another place to turn and if there's, uh, you know, no reason to avoid him. I am concerned looking at the offense now from that perspective for the White Sox this upcoming weekend. I am concerned about the Friday night start. You Darvish, I think is going to be not only preparing himself for the postseason. Again, the national league starts a day later. They're going to start the game one of the wild card round on September 30th. Uh, so that's why Darvish is going to start on Fridays. That lines him up still for game one of the wild card round for the Chicago Cubs, but he's got an opportunity to win the national league. Cy Young. And especially the way that Trevor Bauer has finished his regular season, I feel like Darvish is going to be a man on the mission. Uh, so that's going to be a really tough test for the White Sox hitters. And last time they faced Darvish, outside of Jose Abreu's home run, the White Sox couldn't do much offensively. And it may look like that um, just the Cleveland series continues uh, into Friday night for the White Sox uh, offensively. But against Lester and against Quintana, you have to feel confident as a White Sox fan. They are still undefeated. They're 13-0. Is that right against left-handed pitching? Yeah. Yes. Yep, they just haven't faced one since September Right, so 5th. it's been a minute. Um, and they hit Lester really well, and they haven't seen Quintana. Uh, that'll be fun. Who knows? Maybe this is an audition for Jose Quintana, as he's a free agent after this season, uh, to come back to the White Sox in 2021. Uh, but I, I feel confident that the White Sox can win on Saturday, and I feel confident they can win on Sunday. So hopefully those two wins raise the spirits, give them some much-needed confidence before they play Game 1 next Tuesday in the wild card round. But that's how I feel right now. I think the White Sox will win 2 out of 3. Uh, they'll take 4 out of 6 against the Cubs, and then they would have won the Crosstown Classic. That's how I feel this weekend could go. Do you want to make any bold predictions for this weekend, Jim? I guess the bold prediction would be a sweep. Um, not because I'm feeling especially confident about the White Sox, but because the Cubs are in equally dire straits. And, you know, maybe coming home, maybe having a fully stocked bullpen. Um, you know, really none of the high leverage guys were uh, touched, uh, except for Bummer, who is still working his way back and wouldn't be trusting those situations anyway immediately. But, you know, the full bullpen should be there. Um, you know, the only thing that would stop me is Dylan C starting. So that's why I, I wouldn't go f sweep, but I could just see a way that the White Sox have enough pitching, uh, especially like high leverage pitching available 
to win a close game this time. <laughs> and uh, I think beating Darvish in a start would be something, I'm thinking about it from the Cubs perspective and a Cubs fan perspective and thinking like, uh, you know, if we're thinking about the uh, White Sox and how they can't beat the Indians or just how they uh, snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory, if the Cubs are doing the same thing and it seems like kind of a, um, uh, you know, just the, uh, you know, just a matchup of hapless teams <laughs> who, who are, uh, I'm trying to think, the uh, stoppable force versus the movable object. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. So that's what I'm thinking. Like, I could see a sweep, but I don't want to say that because I could also see it being a sweep the other way. <laughs> that just extends the White Sox misery further. So it's, it's a fascinating matchup of just... Uh, woeful teams that are just expecting the worst right now so i think two of three does feel like the for the white Sox does feel like the most reasonable if you take emotions out of it and you try to take the uh the doom and gloom and just the um you know you know, expecting the worst type outcome and just thinking about what this team's good at and what the cubs aren't haven't been good at it just seems like that's really the best way to go or at least the most logical way to go is two out of three if the White Sox sweep the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals uh, this upcoming weekend, I think they're going to play four games in three days to make up some of the games missed when they were dealing with their COVID-19 issues. There are There's a tentative plan for Monday that the St. Louis Cardinals playing a doubleheader against the Detroit Tigers. Now, that's only if it's necessary. If it determines seeding or as far as the division title, in the National League Central. So if the the Cubs and Cardinals are, are tied uh, after Sunday, Major League Baseball might have the St. Louis Cardinals play those two games against the Detroit Tigers, which is a very similar feeling for White Sox fans back in 2008 uh, when they had to face, I believe it was the Detroit Tigers, right before the Minnesota Twins. They had to face three different opponents in three days. Um, yes to force game 163 now there there won't be any game 61s everything's going to be mathematical um but again if there's an opportunity for the st louis cardinals to win the national league central uh major league baseball might force the cardinals and detroit tigers to play that double header on monday so that's going to be an odd feeling for detroit because after sunday they might be thinking our season is over but in fact (laughs) You still might have two more games to play and there's nothing for the Tigers to to earn from it other than to, I don't know, improve their draft position. It would be an interesting situation, but just something to keep in mind and maybe the White Sox would be helping force that situation. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just picturing the Tigers like, I'm picturing the Tigers like a Pro Bowl situation where like, we have to show up, but nobody wants to play. Nobody wants to get hurt. <laughs> it's right. just, you know, a couple, like a 12 nothing game in a, in a nine to two game or something like that, just to round up the schedule and say like, are we done? And then do they just walk off? <laughs> Miguel Cabrera at first base, booking a flight to Cancun. Uh, yeah. So that's uh that's one scenario that could possibly play out. Okay. Before we wrap up as far as this edition of Sox machine life, uh, again, we'll be recapping as far as the white Sox Cubs series and preview the wild card round for the Chicago white Sox on Monday Sox machine podcast. We're also going to have a huge PO Sox 
uh, mailbag segment as well. Uh, so if you have questions or topics that you want us to address before the White Sox start making their postseason run, uh, again, submit your questions by following us on Twitter at Sox Machine, or if you support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, uh, we'll open up that mailbag soon and let everyone submit their questions, and then Jim and I will try to answer Every single question. We don't always answer every question that we get, but on Monday's episode, we're going to try to answer everyone. So that's something to look forward to. And Patreon gets priority. Yes, Patreon gets priority. All right, before we sign off, there was some big news that was announced today from a media front that impacts the White Sox revenue. And that is Turner Broadcasting agreeing to a new television deal with Major League Baseball that extends the rights deal through 2028. And according to USA Today uh, and several sources, it appears that Turner could be paying as as much as $525 million per season. Why this is significant? Because it's a 40% increase from what Turner was paying before this new deal. And the new deal includes exclusive rights to a wildcard game, two of the four divisional series, one of the league championship series, and that will alternate. So one year, Turner will get the National League Championship Series. The next season, they'll get the American League Championship Series. ESPN's deal with Major League Baseball is set to expire in 2021, and it appears that the commissioner's office and ESPN are already in talks of extending that television rights deal to 2028. Uh, so the Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball owners uh, are going to be getting a lot more television money. And based on public information just on the national TV deals, each team in baseball should be getting $58 million a season, whether or not they play those games on those networks. The White Sox should be good in 2021 and beyond, and we'll see them on those marquee games. Teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are rebuilding, probably won't see them at all. So if the Pirates carry a payroll of less than $58 million going to 2021, That means the Pirates will already be profitable without a single fan at the game. So if fans are allowed to go back to attend games next year, it is cha-ching for the Pittsburgh Pirates for every fan that attends PNC Park in 2021. It is a great deal of TV money. And Jim, you know, we're already getting some people. Uh, we talked about this on the last Sox Machine podcast that we have some of our readers and listeners and White Sox fans already getting psyched up for the Sox Machine offseason plan for the 2021 season. And uh, I find this to be good timing for those that want to be optimistic that the White Sox will have more money to spend because, yeah, they're going to be getting more money from the national TV deal. Do you think this kind of decides any fears that after this season, the White Sox can still be aggressive next offseason in spending. I think it helps a little bit. I think still, you know, just thinking about Jerry Reinsdorf and how he—he's not a—you uh, know—he's not like a Pittsburgh level, you know, spendthrift. He's just 
Moore seems like he wants to keep the ledger balanced, and so he doesn't want to spend his team into a deficit, but he also doesn't want to get carried away, um, like even when on higher times. So it just kind of seems like he keeps it close to, you know, breaking even and, and really not, uh, you know, not really getting carried away or, or going too far under unless there's a plan. Uh, this, I think, helps spend a little bit, and I'm, I'm thinking about it, like with Steve Ciszek being cut, um, designated for assignment, um, you know, after Kelvin Herrera was designated for assignment earlier this year, like it's been a pretty good winter for Rick Hahn, uh, in that like Dallas Keuchel, you know, he finished the season with a sub two ERA. He's been great. Yasmani Grandal has been pretty good. Like, I think he's been frustrating to watch, but I think the results have basically been, uh, the kind of player they wanted. Um, so that's a success so far, but uh, you know, so those are two victories for him uh, in their first year. Is also a Brayu, and with the way he responded with his deal, uh, first year in his deal, that's uh, that's great. But when it comes to trying to you know shop cheaper, lower tiers, like you know mid tiers, lower tiers, Herrera, Cishek, Edwin Encarnacion uh, has been a disaster. Norma Mazzaro wasn't a free agent, but he was that kind of corner cutting thing in order to not spend in the deep end on in the outfielder pool. Still terrible returns, by and large, on those smaller investments. So it seems like, you know, if the White Sox want to be able to improve their team measurably, they're going to have to spend, or at least in order for us to feel confident in their improvement, they're going to have to spend. And if they don't, uh, it, that's where I'd, I'd get worried, just because their track record is still terrible on these lesser investments. But here's hoping that this will allow them to at least make one big patch, hopefully for right field one way or another just to uh, fill that gap. But yeah, it's just, uh, I'm going to be writing about Rodon and about C-Shack because you know, I, I wrote, uh, when I wrote Aaron Bummer's return up that I could write individual posts about all of them. And so I will, but that's going to be something I'm tackling uh, uh, later on Friday. Well, that's something to look forward to on SoxMachine.com. Uh, and uh, that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that listened to the live stream on Mixer.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, no worries. Every episode is recorded and uploaded into the podcast feed uh, for those that can listen at a later time. And a couple of programming notes. So again, on Monday, we're going to be with our regular scheduled Sox Machine podcast. We'll recap the Sox-Cubs series, preview the first round of the postseason for the Chicago White Sox, and have an ultra P.O. Sox segment uh, expanded. So make sure to get your question, questions and topics in. And uh, for our programming for the postseason, again, we're going to have a pre and post-game show for every single White Sox postseason game. So that's going to be as few as two games, <laughs> which right now that kind of seems like that might be it uh, after what's happened against the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> uh, but fingers crossed that's not, and we have a deep play playoff run uh, for the White Sox this year to keep Jim and I busy. But again, we'll have a pre- and post-game show for every single White Sox postseason game and we'll be streaming those live on Mixer.com slash Machine, and we will upload the post-game show into the podcast feed. So for those that can't listen to us live because of the games are at night and you're putting the kids to bed or you got to get to bed, uh, that episode will be into your podcast feed in the morning. Which again, you could subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, including our news sources at Radio.com and the Radio.com app. 
Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Your business may be small, but you've got big goals. Brother Laser Printers can help you succeed, no matter the space, task, or budget. From crisp black and white to vivid full color, our printers offer affordable quality you can trust. Plus, fast printing and high page yields make them ideal for home offices and shared workspaces. It's no wonder Brother is the number one retail brand in laser printer unit sales in the U.S. With Brother at your side, go from small to do it all. Shop now at brother-usa.com laser. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.